We didn't have a separate tech stack for the MVP specifically. We were just building a solid, nice product from day one, and it slowly grew in features, and that's how it evolved from MVP up to the launch. We never had a super strict roadmap, and uh, just about a month ago, we actually got rid of the roadmap almost entirely. One more thing is important is that our industry is super sensitive this email marketing slash email communication. You can do it in a very ethical way and you can do it in a very unethical way. I'm Jane Portman, co-founder and head of product at UserList. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Jane Portman built her latest startup to solve the problem around automated emails and in-app messaging. All this and more on Code Story. Originally from Russia, Jane Portman gained experience as a creative director for an agency. She's been involved in tech as a designer for 16 years, occupying different design jobs. In fact, product work and design is also her hobby. Jane is married with three kids and shares entrepreneurial love with her husband. Having a college degree in applied information technology to the legal side of business, she has a solid foundation baseline for understanding the tech world. A few years ago, Jane was selling her first SaaS product and moved forward recruiting some co-founders to work on a new idea around a problem she was having with automated email and in-app messaging. This is the creation story of UserList. We got started with UserList uh, almost two and a half years ago in the fall of 2017, I believe. I recruited my co-founders to work on a very exciting idea. Before that, I was just about to sell my first SaaS product and empowered with all the knowledge and all the mistakes I made, I immediately set out to build a tool that was lacking for me as a founder at that time, and that was effective customer communications, uh, automated email and automated in-app messages. And it was clear that uh, for me as a non-technical founder, it was impossible to do that myself. So I asked if uh, my co-founder Benedict would join, who was working at that time as a developer for my first product. So we kind of already had this idea of working together by that time. And there was also a third co-founder, Claire Sullentrop, um, who was one of the best marketers I knew. So it was sort of a team first thing. But the idea for UserList was to build a relatively simple, relatively affordable tool for small to medium-sized SaaS companies that would help them talk to their users after they sign up. So unlike other traditional email marketing tools, we were focusing only on users and the user relationship and analyzing user behavior, behavior-triggered communications, and so on and so forth. So that's been growing ever since. Initially, we started with email only, but we're launching in-app messages as an additional channel, which hopefully will differentiate us from other email service providers out there and help our customers use sent communication via the appropriate channel whenever appropriate. 
So you, you mentioned in-app messages. Is that mobile or is that web in web application? That's a pop-up widget in the bottom right or whatever corner you choose of your app. And it does not have a reply feature. So as opposed to like chat widgets, it's not a chat, but it's a way to provide contextual targeted information to your users while they're onboarding or via many other use cases. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it took you to build it and what sort of tools you and your team used to bring it to life, that first version. It's built on Rails and we didn't have like a separate tech stack for the MVP specifically. We were just building a solid, nice product from day one and it slowly grew in features and that's how it evolved from MVP up to the launch. I should say we were generally taking it rather slow First, because it's a fairly complex product, so just building this uh, automation engine and everything and getting everything up to the polish enough stage to open up the beta, that took us like a year or even more. And we started to actively onboard customers only maybe after a year and a half of uh, starting the work. And you know, this point of being embarrassed of your product I kind of get it, but we didn't want to be embarrassing in the field of email automation because our customers' reputations on the line, if they send something wrong, that's going to hurt their reputation as SaaS founders. So we wanted to make sure that everything works nice and smooth. And there is also a lot of infrastructure in this industry. We wanted to make sure we have um, all the paperwork in place. GDPR was a big thing and uh, it remains, but it was just coming out back then. And um, we made sure we're compliant. We put together all the policies and help docs because email automation is, it's not like you can launch a bare app and hope that it will succeed. We wanted to put uh, templates and help docs in place as well, even for the beta users, which might be not wise, <laughs> but, but we did. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, there's the approach and you mentioned it, you know, you want to launch quickly. And if you're not a little embarrassed of the product when you launch it, then maybe you launched too late. But you all took a different approach of making sure that you built a tight core product that you were you were pleased with and you knew would please the users before releasing. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, and it's never been truly half-baked. Sure, we did lack some features, which could be considered essential. But it's never been like half done. It, it was done, but in a very small scope kind of way. That makes sense. Actually, that's an interesting segue into my next question. As you built that MVP, you, know, you can't build everything in the beginning. And even deeper, you can't build everything the way you want to in the beginning. And perhaps that's not totally true for how you and your partner approached user list. But what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term? And, and how did you cope with those as a team, we have matured over these last two years a great deal as in saying no, like, no, we don't have this feature in the moment, it's probably coming up. And we've said a lot of those no's. As professionals in software, we tried our best to align the features that we did we did have with the minimal viable like path to success. So what would empower our users to send nice looking email at the right time, we would do that and everything else would have to wait. Uh, but we did launch without a lot of the features. 
thankfully that is improving all the time and i think for about maybe since launch in last august it's been getting less and less embarrassing <laughs> in terms of the lack of the features and uh, it also aligns with our product philosophy we want to keep this simple in the field of email automation it's really hard to do that because feature requests come in all the time people want to do different things with it so we've matured and learned to say no all the time and that helps us keep the product aligned with our vision and rather clean in terms of the ui and the features we provide so how did you progress the product from you know the early mvp that maybe had less features than what you wanted, and how did you build your roadmap and decide what was the next thing to build? We never had a super strict roadmap, and uh, just about a month ago, we actually got rid of the roadmap almost entirely as we adopted the shape up method, the one that Basecamp advocates for. What they recommend is to start with blank slate for almost every developer sprint because circumstances change all the time. And that that is true because we did have a sort of a roadmap, but we did not progress through that linearly by any means. As we learned from our customers, there was always something new, some bigger priority coming up was typically different from what we were planning. Thankfully, our customer base is super adequate. And in general, the patterns that we saw in, in their feedback correlated with what we had in mind, just that the priorities were sometimes different. A good example would be look and feel of the emails. You still not have the power of customizing that. We just have one very nice looking uh, template, which is basic but polished. We make it our product philosophy to not allow the user to modify too much at the moment. Even though we did have some customer requests that like they want nice visual builders, like rich content, etc., etc. So that's one example of the decisions we've made in, in this simple direction. That's interesting to ditch the roadmap and then go with the shape up methodology of the, the Basecamp company. Tell me a little bit more about that. How how did you pivot to that and, and perhaps even a primer into, into shape up for the listeners? As a team, we started working full-time this January um, because both of us were consultants for, for two years of crafting user list. And that helps a lot to make more gradual decisions, not to be very hungry for cash and just to be overall a nice, uh, slowly, slowly growing company. But since January, we've, we went full-time and it became obvious that we need better methods of working together as we have more time and more things to build we decided to explore ways of documenting that and shape up came along very timely we both read it and got inspired and it's interesting that there are a few aspects of that that we borrowed and we didn't borrow like the entire thing the idea is that features before being built they need to be shaped that is you need to have more detailed documentation about what exactly is that going to look like how long do we want to build it? What do we want to do? What exactly does it mean? And what, where we're not going to go? And maybe some top-level wireframes and uh, things like that. So we borrowed that concept. And at the moment, our roadmap essentially exists of a board where we have like two or three super important features being shaped up at the moment. And then when we're done, 
for example, with launching in-app messages, we are going to decide what to work on next among all those three. And that's really great because you don't have that looming list of things to be built, prioritized, or managed or whatsoever. And uh, that's a really refreshing thing. So we borrowed this idea of shaping. We also adopted Notion. So we have these feature card documents now for each feature idea. And uh, we, we use it to document things better than we did before. Before that, for about two years, both of us are pretty well-organized people. So it somehow managed to work pretty well, even without proper documentation. But as we grow and as we probably will hire people at some point, things like that, we, we do realize that we need to have things much better structured um, in terms of the processes. So moving forward, you know, right now you're, you're a two-person team. You know, at some point, your, your solution is going to scale. It's going to require new roles, new people to help you grow your company. What would you look for in people when, when you do get to the point where you're expanding the team to indicate that they are the right people to join you and Benedict on this journey? That's a wonderful question. I think the culture fit is one important thing. And we don't necessarily mean the culture of the way we do things. But the culture of the whole bootstrapped ecosystem that we belong to, just being familiar with this whole idea of bootstrapping SaaS, the founders we help, and just how everything works in the SaaS world. Because I'm sure there are tons of people out there who are amazing, let's say, support specialists, but they don't have as much insight into the ecosystem that we work in. So that'd be probably requirement number one. And just making sure that the person is smart and self-organized um, is probably another another important one. And then we can probably figure out the details. One more thing is important is that our industry is super sensitive. This email marketing slash email communication, you can do it in a very ethical way and you can do it in a very unethical way. So we want to make sure that all our employees carry on our philosophy of being transparent and legally compliant and ethically appropriate when it comes to our own relationship with the customers and their relationship with their customers. Because as a provider of the tool, we, we're kind of responsible for, for the things that we put out in this world. Let's talk about scalability a little bit. You know, as you built the MVP, you you know, created a tight core product that you put out there, perhaps less some features that you wanted, and you progressed the product over time. As you gained a bigger user base, were you having to fight scalability? Were you encountering any performance issues of the product? Or did you sort of build that in from the beginning? We have not had any super serious crisis, but we do come back to the topic of performance regularly. And Benedict does uh, improve the ways our database works and serves more customers and sends more messages. Email sending by itself, it's a pretty interesting thing. As per choosing a provider that will uh, deliver emails on our behalf and on our behalf of our clients, that was not straightforward because there are many options out there and we wanted to make sure we pick the right one. So we ended up going with Sparkpost and they serve customers like Twitter or Intercom. Well, the challenge is that UserList is not Twitter or Intercom yet. And <laughs> it's uh, sometimes challenging to organize like sending limits are a big thing 
and we spend a deal of our time negotiating with the email providers so that like email rates for daily broadcasts and things like that are good enough to fit our customer base size. So it's a thing and we keep working on that as our customer base grows. That's probably need, needs to be considered if you ever venture out to build an ESP yourself. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you and Benedict have built with UserList, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the team that we've been able to put together, even though it's a team of two people. It's still pretty awesome how we have evolved in our relationship and that we're really predisposed to grow and being wise and how we matured together over these last two years. So that's a super important aspect. And the other part of that would be just the lovely infrastructure of things that took years to put together. The corporation itself, the tool, the help docs that I mentioned, all the legal documents, it would take weeks and weeks of work to start from scratch. And it's wonderful that we don't have to do that altogether. Now that we have all the surrounding infrastructure in place, we can just like move forward and amplify our growth. And that's a wonderful story because I've, I've heard the happiness of a person depends on not only on the current situation, but also on the vistas, on the wonderful perspectives ahead. And at every point in time, we try to be the stage where we have all these things nicely done and then we can keep moving forward and keep growing. So that's a wonderful feeling. Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I should be super grateful that we didn't make any big-time screw-ups, even though we did have a few episodes where things did not go super smooth, like broadcast for one of our customers would be stuck or something like that. That is super embarrassing, but thankfully it was just emails not being sent and nothing really bad and dramatic. So I guess the biggest mistakes are yet to come. <laughs> but I'm kind of grateful that we didn't have big time screw-ups. When we do have minor daily mistakes, we always try our best to keep human, to apologize. And we're always general with uh, generous with plans, refunds, and everything that's relevant to money. Because money is just an operational thing and uh, human relationships are much more important. I think that we learn the most from the mistakes we make. And I think that sharing those really, really helps future builders, entrepreneurs, and others, you know, not to make those same mistakes and make some other ones so they can share <laughs> with other people. So what does the future look like for user lists, for the product, and for your team? We just got funded by TinySeed, which means that we have a salary runway in these hard times and that that couldn't be more exciting this means that we can make braver product decisions just about a couple of weeks ago we launched a new nine dollar plan which is like our equivalent of doing a free plan for businesses who are just starting out and we've been working super hard to make that happen and to sort of open the floodgates to all kinds of small businesses out there. It's a little bit too early to say how that's working out, but we can already observe better traction. And we're hoping that that and the funding and the new in-app messaging feature will like sort of fuel our growth this year. 
Also, mentorship and peer support from Tiny Seed uh, Batch is also a great thing. So we're looking forward to making use of that. And I guess growing and then scaling our team slowly and efficiently, that's a, that's a way forward. We're looking forward to this. So Tiny Seed is a, an accelerator for bootstrapped teams. Is that right? That's correct. That's an accelerator run by Rob Walling of MicroConf and Rip and Ina Walsett. It's not a huge amount of money, but what makes them special is that they're designed for bootstrap founders. So you can take funding, but remain a bootstrap company by spirit. So retain the freedom while enjoying the mentorship and peer support. Very cool. Congrats on that. So who influences the way that you work, Jane? A CEO, CTO, architect, or any person really? Name a person that you look up to and why. I can say that I have a specific person that I particularly admire because I, I tend to admire a lot of people in our ecosystem and uh, especially admire those who are brave enough to share their insights and help people who are just starting out. When I was learning, the important people that I followed were Amy Hoy, Brennan Dunn was super big on my consulting career, Nathan Berry, when he was teaching people to write books, uh, so that influenced a lot of my book writing in the past, and that was great. And uh, right now I'm looking what Nathan is doing at ConvertKit, and they're like light years ahead of userless at scale, but it's amazing to see what they're done. The Basecamp stuff remains a classic, as we already mentioned, the shape up. And also have a few people out there in the SaaS industry who are kind enough to be our mentors and to provide advice for us in, in some daily struggles. So that's already available. Just overall peer support of the whole Bootstrapper community is wonderful. Sounds like you have a lot of different influences that shape the way you go about your day-to-day -day and your business creation. Is that right? Yeah, I should say so. And I, I still love reading business books and getting insights for example, one of the bigger ones lately were, were books by Simon Sinek. And I don't particularly treasure him as a, as a business person because he's a writer. One of the ideas of starting with the why continued in his book, The Infinite Game, they really, really resonated with me as a SaaS founder. Yeah, I definitely appreciate Simon's point of view. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or consider taking a different approach on? I think we did things relatively right. Maybe we could be a little faster in getting our creation out in the world. As I mentioned, our like preparation for the beta kind of period, the building, it took a while. Maybe we could do that faster. But on the other hand, uh, we were not in a particular rush and we were able to craft the solid base for the business. So I'm not sure which path is better. I'm hoping I can provide a more quality insight on that after we grow to some bigger numbers here. <laughs> where, where can people find out more about user lists, about the product, or contact you and Benedict? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So userlist is at userlist.com. And uh, if you want to join, we have a special discount for the listeners available at userlist.com slash code story. So get 30% off for the first three months. That's uh, the commercial part. Uh, then my co-founder Benedict runs a podcast called Slow and Steady together with Brian Rea. It's where he shares the entire journey that, that you can give a listen. 
As for myself personally, I reside at uibreakfast.com and I also run a show called UI Breakfast, uh, but that's related to design and product, if you're interested. One last question. So you're getting on a plane and sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to you, show it off to the world, and think it's going to be a game changer. Having gone down this road a bit, what advice would you give that person? Piece of advice number one, um, Alex Yumashev of Jitbit gave it to me a few years ago. So I asked him what he would do like next time. And he said, I would start another help desk. And I was amazed, like, why would you do another boring help desk? And the wisdom of that advice is to start products in existing product categories that have a good market. A lot of people know that this tool is necessary. So that's piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two is just keep going, be consistent, and there is no single win that can elevate your business overnight. Most likely, you'll just have to keep shipping aligned with your values for years and years to go. So settle for the long journey and enjoy it. Well, that's great advice. Well, Jane, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of UserList. My pleasure. I'm glad to share. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.